Hi, everybody. Wynn Claybaugh here, and uh, I'm excited today for a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm in person. I'm in person with this incredible man that I'm interviewing, and uh, lots of great things came out of COVID, including the idea that, gosh, we can get the job done and do it virtually, but my gosh, any chance that we have to see people and, and interact with them and connect with them and knowing that this man lives close by, I, I made it my mission to get together with him physically and carved out the entire day to be with this wonderful man by the name of Saul Blinkoff. So Saul, first of all, welcome to Masters and then I'll tell everybody who you are. Thank you so much, Wayne. So cool to be here. So good to uh, virtually meet your audience. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And uh, we, we met through a very dear friend of ours, Tim Story, who I was texting with just literally a couple of minutes ago. So he knows that you and I are here together and awesome. he, he wishes you well and he knows that you're going to totally screw this up today. So, <laughs> so he warned man. me about that. But uh, so thank you, Tim. Uh, you guys are going to love this. I mean, just the, the second you hear who this man is, Saul worked on the animated hits. So get this, work at Disney, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, Tarzan, Winnie the Pooh, Springtime with Root. Some of you may not know who these people are, but I have a 10-year-old daughter. So, of course, I know Doc McStuffin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so and these are some of the people, including Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures and, and Llama Llama for Netflix, award-winning DreamWorks show Madagascar. So, you had quite the career as a, an animator, but Saul is also a life coach speaks around the world, sharing practical tools for success, meaning, and fulfillment. Of course, I'm reading this. Uh, along this topic, you have created this theme of life of awesome, which, you know, that sounds, of course, why wouldn't we promote that? But you built <laughs> right. a brand around that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always think to myself, if somebody comes up to you and they're like, how's your day going? You'd be like, yeah, my day's good. It's good. They'd probably be like, oh, all right, that's okay. What if they came up to you and they said, how's your day going? You'd be like, how's my day going? My, my day is great. They'd be like, oh, that's, that's great. I'm so happy. The conversation would probably end there, though. Right. But if somebody comes up to you and they say, how's your day going? And you say, how's my day going? Let me tell you what's going. It's going awesome. They'd be like, why? What happened? Yeah. Did, did you win the lottery? Did you have a kid born? Did you get a job promotion? Right. What if every day could be awesome without winning the lottery? Without getting a job promotion, without meeting your soulmate, what if every day you could taste awesome? Well, guess what? You can because it is awesome to be alive. That's why this brand that I'm building, ideas that I'm sharing is because I want to have an – I'm just talking selfishly right now. I want to have an awesome life. I want to have an awesome marriage. Mm. I want to be an awesome dad. I, I want to love my career. I want every day to wake up and I'm just like, you know what? It is awesome to be alive. That's what I'm here to share. Mm. Well, just the fact that you're engaged in a conversation. You yeah. know, what, what do they say to ask your kid? You know, how was your day? Fine. Right. Whereas, you know, <laughs> right. what, what I was taught, what, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And right. so to engage a conversation. That's right. Not only is it great to draw that out of other people, but it's going to draw something out of you too. It's right. And you know what? I, I really firmly believe when, and this is such a simple idea, it's not simple to live it, but it's simple to understand it, that we choose the lens that we will see life through. Each one of us has a choice to make. You know, I'm a movie guy, right? You mentioned all the movies at Disney's and stuff. One of my favorite movies ever, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I, you know, course, you know the course, movie, right? Yes. And uh, I'm sure some of you listening know the movie. Uh, some of you listening have not seen the movie. I'd hit pause right now. <laughs> and watch go, the movie. Just watch that movie. I mean, seriously, one of the top best, five top best movies of all time. I don't, I don't want to spoil it or ruin it. But I will say it's a story about a guy who has the worst experience a human could have. But he has to make a choice. Am I going, I mean, he's in jail. You know that from the movie poster, right? He's in jail. But in his mind, he has freedom in his mind. But I know people that are free. I know people that are worth a billion dollars. They wake up every day with anxiety. They make up every day and they feel like they're in jail. Don't think outside experiences should control how you feel about life. Don't let outside experiences control how you feel about yourself. We have to choose what lens do I choose to see the world? What lens do I choose to see my day, my hour, my moment? Every moment can be awesome. Do you ever feel sometimes that because you have put that out there, a life of awesome, that you 
put a target on your back. Like right. you, can, you can't have any road rage so, anymore. So you, you can't. Know, you can't put out anything. Right. Like, Wait a minute. You're the life of awesome. My kids, they're doing that. My oh kids my like, God. hey, Dad, because I got teenagers, right? They're like, Dad. Wait, I thought you said it was awesome. You can't right. complain. I'm like, you know what? They hold me to it. I know. And you know what? They're right. Gosh, that's <laughs> They're awesome. Right, dude. Well, that's one of my favorite words. So uh, I'm glad that you're building a brand on that. Obviously, your story is incredible. Your story of how you came on board with Disney. Can you just, let's just jump into that story. Sure. That's, that's what's going to get this whole conversation going. Right, yeah. Well, you know, look, I grew up in New York. Um, when I was a kid, I loved to do what all kids love to do. I loved to draw. And I, I just thought I was going to be an artist one day. I didn't know as I was getting older that you could have a job that was creative. Like people I knew were doctors, lawyers, teachers, owned businesses. I didn't know anyone that was an artist for a living. I thought that's something you do when you're a kid. When you grow up, you, you got to grow up. You got to do a, a real job. And uh, when I was 11 years old, I remember going to the movies and I see a movie that changes my life. I saw the movie E.T. Oh, Boom, right? As my kids say, that's from the olden days, right? <laughs> so I see Steven Spielberg's classic E.T. And I remember the credits are rolling and I tap my mom at the movies. I'm 11 years old and I'm like, mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she's like, what, you want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? I'm like, no, mom, I want to be a filmmaker. You know, I didn't know you could even do that. But all I knew is when I looked up to the screen, it called to me. There was a fire in me that was ignited. So I went to a building that many of your listeners will never go to, especially those of you under the age of 30. You will never go to this building. It's called a library. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's before Google, right? Right, right? You used to have to go to a building to get information. So I go to this library and I get books on cameras, lenses, storyboarding. I found out that Steven Spielberg every weekend would make movies, home movies. There's actually a movie out right now called The Fablemans. It's about his life. Yeah, it's so a great movie. It's a great movie, right? Yeah. So I find out about all this stuff. I'm like, you know what? Let me go get a film camera. I get a film camera. My twin sister, my older brother, and I start making movies. Murder movies, monster movies. I remember one movie. We tied my sister up to a tree. Like really tight. She's older or younger? She's than my you? twin sister. Okay. Six minutes younger. Okay. So I'm her older brother after all. And we tired of the tree. We go into the house to watch the movie. I still remember my mom going, I like the movie, but where's your sister? I'm like, well, she's still tied to the tree. What's oh, wrong? Gosh, yeah. So like I knew I was going to be a filmmaker. And, uh, and then I get to high school. When I was in high school, I was a freshman or sophomore. I'm walking down the halls one day. I'll never forget it. Some guy comes up to me and he says, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? I said, well, I'm going to be a filmmaker. He's like, no, you don't want to do that. I said, no, I really do. He goes, no, you don't, because if you want to be a filmmaker, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with weirdos. And he looked at me and said, you don't want to end up a weirdo, do you? And I said, no, I don't want to end up a weirdo. And I'm telling you right then and there, I gave up on my dream because one person told me I would end up a weirdo. And, you know, of course, today I do live in Hollywood. And my four kids would tell you, daddy is a weirdo, a weirdo right? right? But at that point in my life, I was impressionable. And for everyone listening, I want you to take a moment and think about this for a moment. Think about life when you have someone say something to you. They change the trajectory of your goal and your dream. Someone can say something and make you believe in yourself. Someone can say something to you and make you doubt yourself. So often in life, we give other people the control over what we feel we can accomplish. Well, at that point, I was very impressionable. So I gave up on that. Forget about filmmaking. In a second, I gave up on it. My parents are like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'll go back to drawing. So I'm very lucky when I have incredibly supportive parents. They hired an art teacher to come to the house and teach me to draw every week. Incredible teacher. She's amazing. I still remember her saying to me the first day before I drew anything. She's like, Saul, drawing is about seeing. It's not about copying. It's about seeing. I'm going to train you to look at the world a different way. When I walked into your office here, I saw that picture in the lobby. All right. And I started going off talking about the composition, the way this guy, and you were like, I, I, ne whoa, whoa, whoa. I never saw that. Part. Because I, that's the lens I was trained to look at the world through. Everything I see is visual. She's an amazing teacher. I remember she also told me, she's like, you know what? I want you to go to restaurants and draw people from life, like cafes at the bus stop. Draw people moving around, doing things. So I would do this, and I brought all these drawings back to her. She looks at the drawings. She goes, I like your drawings, but... I've noticed that all the humans you've drawn, they don't have hands. Like, why are there no hands? Did those people not have hands? I'm like, no, they had hands. She goes, well, why didn't you draw the hands? I said, well, because drawing hands is difficult. 
She goes, oh, okay, good. You know what your homework is? For the next six weeks, every night before you go to bed, you're going to draw your hand from a different position. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what I did. And you know what happened in six weeks? I got good at drawing hands. And she taught me one of the greatest lessons in life. And by the way, if you've been listening to this episode right now, you can forget everything that was set up until now. You walk away with this, it will change your life. Here's an idea. Find your weakness and have the goal to turn it into your strength. Get out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid of flaws. Don't be afraid of weakness. When you find that weakness, that is the answer key to growing. Incredible teacher I had. And I got good at drawing hands. It's amazing. Michael Jordan, I grew up in the 90s, right? And Jordan is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Some of you are listening and thinking, nah, it's LeBron. Well, you're wrong, okay? It's Michael. (laughs) So Michael Jordan was in the NBA the first year. A critic, a sports writer, comes up to him after one of the games and says, Michael, you're a scoring machine, but you have no defensive game. Jordan could have been like, dude, I just made a million dollars playing basketball. I'm going to listen to you. Your kid probably has my Air Jordan sneakers. He probably has my posters up over the wall. I'm going to listen to you. But Jordan said in his mind, he heard one thing. Something I'm doing is giving that guy the perception that I don't have a defensive game. I guess I better work harder on defense. And he did. And next year in the NBA, one player, only one, was named Defensive Player of the Year. Number 23, Michael Jordan. You know why you're listening to this episode right now? Because each one of us, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how you grew up. Every single person on the planet wants the exact same thing. We all want to live a life of greatness. We all want to live a life of awesome. How do you get it? You know, the first step is find your flaws and be motivated to turn them into your strengths. Incredible teacher. So I was going to be an artist. And then I went to the movies and I saw another movie that changed my life. I saw the movie. I'll hum the song, Win, and we'll see if you know it. Okay. Here we go. Uh, How about this one? Ready? I'll sing the beginning of the song. The seaweed is always greener. Oh, yeah. And somebody, there you go. You there know. we go. Okay, you know you're Disney. Well, of course. <laughs> Again, 10-year-old daughter, remember that. That's right, you know okay. it, right? Well, we always say Little Mermaid is BF, before Frozen, right? That's okay. how, oh, is that it? That's how, okay. you know. So uh, we see The Little Mermaid. I'm watching that movie. The credits are rolling. I tap my mom, and I'm like, Mom, that's what I want to do someday. She's like, what, you want to fall in love with a fish? <laughs> I'm like, no, Mom, I want to work in animation. And it clicked for me. Like when I'm looking at the screen and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, animation is the perfect thing for me. It combines my two passions, my love of filmmaking, my love of drawing, put it together, animation. And plus I found out that Disney had a studio in Orlando, Florida. I don't have to go out to LA. So there I was, junior in high school, and I knew exactly what my dream was. My dream was to become a Disney animator. I just had one problem. I had no idea how to do it. How often do I meet people? And I ask them, what's your goal? What's your dream? And some of them who are lucky enough to know their dream, I'll ask them, how are you going to get it? So often I get a blank look. If you don't know how to accomplish something, it's not going to happen. Go to a great restaurant. Taste an unbelievable dessert, creme brulee, tiramisu, whatever you love. You want to make it at home? You can do it if you have the recipe. I didn't have the recipe. But what I did have was the most supportive mom in history. My mom took me, not my older brother, not my twin sister, takes me to Disney World and is walking me around Disney World going up to all the Disney cast members. That's what they call their employees. And she's saying, my son wants to be a Disney animator. Can you help him? It was very embarrassing, okay? (laughs) Good old mom. Good old mom, right? I should be interviewing mom today. Oh, you should, dude, you should. I remember we were getting on the, uh, what was it? The It's a Small World Boat Ride, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sing the song because you don't want that in your head all day, right? (laughs) So I get on that boat ride, and I remember my mom getting on, and the woman at Disney, like, how many of your party were like two? We're stepping on the boat. My mom's like, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney. Can you help him? The lady's like, man, this is a boat ride? Like, what do you think? (laughs) So we go through the boat. After the boat, we come back, and the lady's like, look, if you want your son to work at Disney, He's got to go to the Disney casting building. It was four minutes away from where we were in Disney World. So we end up going to this building. And uh, can you imagine what a Disney office building must look like? Like, incredible. Right. Whimsical. Imaginative. I remember the door. Aren't, aren't the doorknobs characters? Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. The doorknobs are the ones from Alice in Wonderland. Gosh. The ones that like talk. Right. So they're made out of brass. So when I walk up to this building, 
I'm a high school kid. I open these doors. I walk into this atrium. I still get goosebumps when I tell. There they go. Right there. I walk into this atrium, and there's gold statuettes of Mickey, Donald, Pluto, Goofy, Dumbo, Roger Rabbit, Pinocchio. Even the air in that lobby, I will never forget, was like, it had like a smell. It was like, like pixie dust in the air, you know? And then there's a ramp that goes up. It's like a 30-foot ramp. And you have to walk up this ramp, down a, up a hallway. And as I'm walking up this ramp, on the left is a, a, a painting on the wall of Walt Disney holding a sketchbook. And on that sketchbook, it's blank. Almost like saying to me, what are you going to create? It was intimidating. And then as you're walking up, by the way, it's so interesting. Whoever designed this, it's supposed to intimidate you, I think. Because, you know, walking up takes more effort than walking down. And you're, you're ascending. You're walking up. It's, ah, right? Right, right? Choral music. I remember on the ceiling is painted Peter Pan and Wendy flying off to Neverland. And I remember feeling like, that's where I want to go. I want to go off to Neverland. These are my dreams. Some of you are listening right now, and you think about what your dreams are. Not what your goal of the day is, the hour. What are you trying to accomplish this week? I mean, what are your dreams? What are your dreams for your life? What kind of a life do you want to live? Who do you want to become? As I, I walked up these, oh, this ramp, I was dreaming. Finally, I sit there for the interview, and the woman's like, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, my dream is to be a Disney animator. She goes, well, well we don't hire those here. I'm like, what do you mean? Who do you hire? She goes, we, we hire people that work the rides in the park. Right? People like when you go in the teacups, who do you think spins them around? Someone that hits a button. That's who we're hiring. That makes the Dumbo ride go up and down, right? That sells a Coke for $20, right? That's, right? that's who they, and I'm like, that's not really my dream. She goes, well, hold on a second. She walks out of the room, comes back in two minutes later, and she hands me a piece of paper. And it became the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my hands. It was a list of eight schools. Eight art schools that Disney recruits their artists from. And she said, if you want to be a Disney animator, you need to go to one of these schools. Boom, that was it. That was the recipe. And that was an equation for me. I saw it as an equation in my head. I remember I was thinking, you know, Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream of becoming a Disney animator. Once you have that equation in life, you plus what will equal your goal? Boom, that should motivate you. So I ended up going to one of these schools in Columbus, Ohio. As a matter of fact, I will never forget the first day I was touring all these different schools to see which would be a good fit. And, you know, this was art school. I'm talking a strange group of people, right? I mean, pick the strangest person you've ever seen and fill an entire school with them, all right? This is art school. We're talking people. Uh, it's crazy. And I remember the guys touring us around the school, and I see this giant wall of all this artwork. And every piece of artwork on that wall, is, I'm telling you guys, it was 100 times better than anything I could ever do. 100 times better. And I said to the guy touring us around, I'm like, your seniors are so talented. He says, Saul, every single piece of artwork that you see on the walls was done by our freshman class. I'm like, what? They're only a year older than me? And they're 100 times better than me? I felt intimidated. Why would I want to go to a school where I would have been the worst one? Why would you want to step on a court and play ball if you know you suck? And I'm telling you, when if I chose to go to that school, I would have been the worst artist at that school. But I have this theory. If you want to be great at something, you better surround yourself with people that are better than you. Boom. And you know, in order to do that, you know what you need to do? You know what character trait you must have? It's called humility. You got to have humility. You got to be real. You have, to, you have to put your ego. When you put your ego to the side, you can grow. You leave space to learn wisdom. And I knew that if I went to a school like this, I could get as good as them. Of course I suck because I haven't gone to this school yet. Right. So I chose this school and thank God they chose me. So there I am in the school. It's competitive. Everybody wants to work at Disney. I remember I, uh, I, uh, a week after school started, they posted a thing that Walt Disney Studios was coming to our school. A representative was coming from the Disney Studios to our school to tell us how to get into Disney. And the guy gets up on a stage. His name was Bill Matthews, one of the original animators on Sleeping Beauty. He must have been 70 years old, had a white beard, an amazing guy. He gets up on that stage. He looks out to the entire auditorium. And I remember it was the first time I saw every student in one place, over 500 students there. And he goes, just so you know, out of the 500 of you, let me ask you, how many of you want to be Disney animators? Every hand went up. Got to remember when. This is before DreamWorks existed. 
before Pixar existed. If you wanted a job in animation, it was Disney, top of the top. He goes, well, let me just tell you, out of the 500 of you that have your hand up, just so you know the reality is maybe, just maybe, four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. And when he said that, I, I remember thinking one thing. I wonder who the other three are going to be. <laughs> because in life, right, you either believe in yourself that you can accomplish or you don't. And I mean deep down. Not what we project. Not what we post on social media. Not what we talk about. I mean, deep down, do you really believe you can accomplish? Well, at that point in my life, whether I was naive, whether it was because of the support of my parents, I did believe in myself. Then he says, if you want to work at Disney, you got to get the internship. No internship, no Disney. And if you want the internship, here's what you need. And I'm telling you, when I'm on the edge of my seat listening, I'm telling nobody, nobody was more focused in that room than me that day. The passion I had... I, I believed in myself, dude, a hundred times. <clears throat> he says, if you want the internship, you need a portfolio, 25 pages filled with hundreds of drawings of humans and animals from life. No cartoon characters, he said. No Mickey Mouse drawings. You have to draw from life. You have to draw humans and animals from life, figure drawing. And that was it. I left that meeting and I was, I, I left that presentation. I was like, that's it. I'm going to take figure drawing. That's all I'm going to do is draw people. And um, I remember the first week in school, I went to a party. And I see in the party, in the corner, there's this guy with a sketchbook. Everyone's drinking, drinking beer out of funnels and stuff. And I see this guy doing drawings of this girl drinking beer out of a funnel, right? Anyone who went to college, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I go to this guy. I'm like, what class is that for? Why are you doing that drawing? He goes, it's not for a class. I go, so why are you drawing at a party? He goes... Because I want to get better. Mm. He became my best friend. Really? His name was Andy. And I will tell you, Andy was by far the best artist in the school because the guy never stopped drawing. Mm. He was incredible. And you know what? Everyone listening, forget everything I've said up until now. That would be fine. You want a tool to change your life? You want to hear something right now that if you apply to your life, I promise you will change the rest of your life, no matter how old you are where you're from, who you choose to be friends with actually affects who you become. Think about it. Think about the values of the people you surround yourself. You know, you mentioned earlier when Tim's story, right? He's a dear friend of ours. Tim's story is the life coach to the stars. Robert Downey Jr., right? Smokey Robinson, Quincy Jones, you name the person in Hollywood. If they've had a setback, he's helped them come back. That's what he does. And I asked him, you know, I host a podcast also called, of course, Life of Awesome. <laughs> and I had him on my podcast and I asked him this question, Tim, what is the thing that you see in Hollywood that makes someone successful at life? Not, not successful at money, not successful. Oh, they made another movie. I mean, successful at life or failing at life. He goes, it's always one thing. Who do they have in their green room? Who do they surround themselves with? Who are their friends? Who's their entourage? What are the values of that person? Because those are the values that are going to seep into you. And those of you who are listening, you know when you're a parent, you want your kids. Like I got four kids. I know I want my kids hanging out with the right people. Well, well who are we hanging out with? Right. It's the same thing. And I'll tell you, just hanging out with Andy changed my life, man. So when you talk about that circle of, of influence, for you personally, and I, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Is that a large group? Is that a, a small group? Oh, it's small. You know. I did I did a whole podcast with Tim just about the green room. Protecting oh, you the green room right. of, you know of who about. you let in and who you don't let in. Yeah, yeah. He, he told the, the, the story of Smokey Robinson. Everybody wants to be there to see Smokey perform, and, right. and they all want to meet him before the show. And Smokey's like, uh-uh, after the show. Wow. Before the show, I got to protect my green room. It's the energy that I'm surrounded by. Is that what he said? Yeah, before wow. I'm getting ready to go on that stage, he protects, because right. I've been in those green rooms where you're trying to be in that zone of I got to right. get on that stage in front of a bunch of people and, right. and then all of a sudden there's this commotion going on in the green room and then people are asking you questions and then there's a fight over here and then somebody's smoking and it's like, it's like whoa, yeah. you just threw it all off. That's amazing. Wow. So so for you, how, how big is well, that I'll circle? So I'm, you brought Andy into your circle. Yeah, but you know, I look at it a little bit, I'm a visual guy, right, you know, so I look at it like this, picture a tree and picture the cross section of a tree, right? It has all the rings, right. right? So think about for a moment, everyone, think about all the people in your life, Think about the outer circle, 
right? The people that are acquaintances, you don't even know their name. Someone that walks by you in the hall at work or someone. And as you start to go closer, you get people that you're closer to. Mm -hmm. You get to maybe your coworkers or your friends. But then you go right, right towards the center. Do you have a bestie? Maybe you're listening and you have a best friend. Maybe you're lucky and you can have one friend. And by the way, if you can have one friend in your life who's real, you're a king. You're a queen. What's a friend? Let me tell you what a friend is. A real friend is someone that's going to help you accomplish the greatest task, the most difficult task you will ever do in life, which ultimately I think is the goal of life. You know what life is about? How do I grow as a human being? How do I become a better human being? Not, not how do I become a better basketball player? Not how do I become a better artist? Not how do I make more money? No, no, no. That's all important. I mean, how do you become a better human being? How do I become a more humble person? How do I live a life of more integrity? How do I live a life where my perspective when I walk in a room isn't how do I get people to notice me? It's how do I impact another person? How do I make somebody smile? And how do you do that? You need to have someone give you a perspective on you. Got to be able to listen to it. If you're listening to this and your parents are still alive, believe me, the last people you want to hear about how you should change your life is from your parents. And if you're over the age of, I don't know, 30, your parents are walking on eggshells anyway. They know they can't tell you anything. But do you have, and by the way, that's the secret of marriage. That's the secret of any friendship. Do I have someone where there's a relationship where I actually trust them enough where I can be vulnerable and they can tell me, you know what, dude, you screwed up last week. You were you didn't do the right thing. You, you Let's say you get passed up for a job. Someone else gets the promotion. You're sitting with your friend having a drink after work and you're like bashing your boss. I can't believe they gave it to this person. Your friend's going to be like, yeah, you're right. I can't believe it. Is that what your friend should say? What if your friend said to you, you know what, can I be honest with you? You didn't deserve that job. What, what do you mean? Well, you know, you came into work like three times late last week. You know, work starts at nine. You come in at 9.05 every day. You know, you're supposed to have an hour for lunch and you come back three minutes later every day. I don't see you put in that effort. I don't see you put that effort in your job. I thought you were my friend, dude. I am your friend. I'm trying to help you grow. So if you take that green room, let's take the room and use the rings of a tree for a moment. If you go towards the center, Hopefully you will have one person, just one in life that can tell you the answer key to how you need to grow. That's who you hold on to. Andy was that for me. And it wasn't just because he was a great artist. It was his mindset. It was his mindset. The way he approached homework. I still remember him and I walking through the lobby of the freshman dorm, walking over all these bodies of students sitting on the floor watching The Simpsons, eating pizza, blowing off their homework. And Andy and I would take our sketchbooks and go out into the Columbus night and draw from life constantly. It was amazing. Second year of school, I get my best drawings together. I put them in a portfolio and I send them into Disney. A couple weeks later, I get an envelope with a gold leaf Mickey. It says the Walt Disney Company on the top left. My name is typed on the front. I couldn't believe it. The Disney company knew I was alive. It was amazing. It was amazing. My name printed on an envelope. I opened up that envelope because I had sent in my portfolio to try to get in as a sophomore. Now, look, I didn't expect to get in as a sophomore. I just wanted to, you know, go through the process. They say in the envelope, Saul, thanks for sending your portfolio in, but unfortunately you didn't make it. All right, so I was rejected. You know, like I said, I didn't expect to get in the first time. I was happy they knew I was alive. I took that envelope. I took that, that letter, the rejection letter. I put it up over my wall. People were coming into the dorm room. Blink off. You're so lucky. The Disney company knows you're alive. I was fired up, dude. Another year. Even though it was your rejection. Yeah, because it was starting the relationship with right, them. Right, right. Right? They know I'm alive, right? It's so cool. Another year goes by. Andy and I drawing constantly. Everyone at this point knew if there's two people that are going to get into Disney, it's going to be Saul and Andy because these guys never stopped drawing, dude. I remember one day we were in Columbus, Ohio, right? Our school, bitter cold, freezing day. Anyone who's listening, if you know what it's like to be in cold, and I'm talking real cold, this was the day we were going to the zoo to draw 
uh, animals from life. When you guys watch a movie like Lion King, how do you think Disney animators know how to draw animals? You think you just wake up with a blank piece of paper and you know? No, you got to have anatomy books. You got to go to zoos and draw animals from life. Walt Disney used to bring deer into the studio when they were making Bambi. When they made Lion King, they brought lions into the studio. So this is that freezing day. About 17 of us get on a bus. We go to the Columbus Zoo. The second we get there, we go to a Wendy's cafe that was in the zoo because it was freezing. We get hot drinks. Boys are flirting with the girls. Girls are flirting with the boys. After about two minutes, Andy and I sharpen our pencils. We walk out to the zoo and we find an elephant who's just walking back and forth. And we draw him for 45 minutes. And that is the greatest thing you could ever give someone who's studying movement. An animal repeating the same movement over and over again. This elephant would just walk, turn around, walk the other way, turn. It was amazing. So we stood there freezing, drawing this elephant. Afterwards, we get into the bus. I'm showing Andy what I drew. He's showing me what he drew. I said to one of the other guys, dude, we never saw you at the elephants. What animals were you guys drawing? The guy looks at me and goes, well, none of us ever left the Wendy's. We couldn't leave. I said, what do you mean you couldn't leave? He goes, we couldn't leave. It was too cold. Right. I'm like, oh, it was too cold? When that was the greatest moment of my life. Because you know what that told me? Blink off, you're going to get into Disney one day. Because if that's the attitude of the competition, they are so in trouble. Mm. You know, anyone listening right now, take a moment. Think about a person who inspires you. Think about a Netflix documentary that you've watched. Okay, you watched The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs. I don't, whoever inspires you, whatever it is, look at a marriage. If you know someone married and it looks like they have a good marriage, you know what all of these people have in common? They don't just go through struggle. They don't just go through pain. They grow through pain. When you have the expectations that life is going to be difficult, it should empower you to accomplish. You want to be really good at something? Yeah, it's going to be easy. You want to be great at something? It's going to take a little effort. You want to be awesome at something? You're going to have to work your butt off. How bad do you want it? I use those exact words Tell all the time. Me. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want Some it? Some people call this the, the microwave generation. You want things instantly. And, 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 you, and you can see the story told from start to finish in 20 minutes. Right. And so they're, they're thinking, well, gosh, if I watch enough YouTube videos, that's all it's going to take to get me into Disney. Right. And we talk a lot about values versus behavior. They have that the value is I have this goal to be successful in this area of life. Right. And what you're saying is, okay, okay, well, that's what you're saying. But does your behavior back that right. up? Right. Is that it kid, too cold outside? That kid on the bus was wearing a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt. Right. Oh, your dream is to work at Disney, but when push comes to shove, are you going to freeze, dude? Are you going to go through the cold? It was music to my ears. One of my mentors used to say that everybody wants the spotlight, and the truth of the matter is if you got the spotlight today, you might make a total fool of yourself because yeah. you're not ready for that spotlight. Right. You think that you are, you want that spotlight, right. and you're going to make a total fool of yourself. Right. That's so you're beautiful. Not ready. That's perfectly said. Yeah, and you know. Just keep drawing. That's right. <laughs> just, uh, what, was, what was the finding you know, email? Yeah. Just keep yeah, swimming. Just keep swimming. swimming. That's, I love it. Just keep drawing. Just keep drawing. So. <laughs> right. so at that point, look, I was pumped, and I really had the confidence then. So Andy and I take our portfolios, we send them into Disney, and we wait. And three or four weeks go by. I was in New York. It was Christmas break, and I get a call, and it's Andy on the phone. I was like, "Hey, man, what's up?" He's like, "Blink off. You're not going to believe this." I'm like, "What am I not going to believe?" He goes. I just got a call from someone at the Walt Disney Studios. I'm like, and he goes, I got in. I'm like, what? He goes, I got in. I got the internship. First try. I'm like, I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. I was so happy for him. I'm like, that's amazing. Goes, but they didn't call you yet, did they? I'm like, no, but they could be trying to call right now. We didn't have call waiting back then. So I hang up the phone and I'm pacing back and forth. And my mom comes in. She's like, what happened? My, my Andy just got in. She's pacing back and forth. But the phone's not ringing. I'm like, Mom, you paid the bill, right? There's a dial tone. Paid, there's a dial tone. They're not calling. And then I think to myself, Andy's last name begins with the letter H. My last name begins with the letter B. Shouldn't it have been alphabetical? Shouldn't they have called me first? You know what I do? I pick up the phone and I dial the head of Disney myself. Who does that? Well, I did. You know why? Because when there's something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. Want to walk away with the tool? 
When there is something you want in your life, you will do whatever it takes. You will do anything to get it. You know, when I was a kid growing up in New York, I told you about my love for Michael Jordan. I'm growing up in New York. I'm watching the New York Knicks play Michael Jordan because that's what it was like. It was the New York Knicks against Michael. And before the game, I'm standing next to the court. Michael Jordan is out there on the court with those warm-up breakaway pants, dribbling the ball. He had this incredible focus on his face. I'll never forget. I'm standing next to my older brother. I must have been like 14 years old. I said to my older brother, I'm like, Jay, I'm going to go walk out there and meet Michael Jordan. I'm going to go shake Michael Jordan's hand. My brother's like, you ain't going nowhere. Before he could finish that sentence, I walk out in the middle of the court. I look up to Michael Jordan and I said to him, quote, hi, Mr. Jordan. And he looks down at me and says, quote, yo, how you doing? End quote. And he shook my hand. This one right here. <laughs> that very hand. Never washed. Right. Still has the sweat. Right. Ah, there's the smell. Number 23. You know why I walked out on that court? Because when there's something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? So I called up the head of Disney. I get the guy on the phone. I'm like, hi, my name is Saul Blinkoff. I want to find out about the internship. He's like, oh, Saul, I have your name on a list here. I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, you didn't make it. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you didn't make it. I'm sorry. I said, oh, well, what about Andy? He goes, yeah, he made it. You didn't. I was like, oh, okay. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I hung up the phone. And that was a incredibly bittersweet moment in my life. Sweet? I was happy for my best friend. Bitter? My dream was shattered. And I went back to school. First of all, you know where Andy's going? He's going to the happiest place on earth. earth. That's what they call Disney, right? Happiest place on earth. Sunny, beautiful Orlando. I'm going back to Ohio in the wintertime. Gray skies, bitter cold. I thought that was the most depressing place on earth. Not the life of awesome, huh? Not the life of awesome. That was the life of suck. Right. <laughs> right? That was bad. And I remember walking the halls and someone's coming up to me like, where's Andy? Oh, he got in. Oh, you didn't. Oh. I became known as the guy that was friends with the guy that got into Disney. I became known as the guy who didn't get what he really, really wanted. And I felt like, uh, like a loser. I felt like a failure. And then I came up with the most brilliant way to take that feeling away. And for everyone listening right now, if you ever in your life strive to accomplish something and you fail, and you will because you're a human being, that's what we do. We strive and we fail. We succeed and we fail. That's life. If you want to take the feeling of being a failure away, you do what I did and the feeling will go away in a second. You know what I did? I gave up. I gave up on the entire dream. That was it. Because reality set in. Reality was Andy was an awesome artist and I was just average. Who was I to think that I could accomplish that? Every one of us wakes up with a, a shoulder angel on our shoulder telling us that we can aspire to greatness. We can have a great life. We can have a great marriage. We can raise great kids. We can change the world. But we also have that shoulder devil whispering into our ear, even louder, saying, who the hell do you think you are? You can't have that. That's for people like that. That's for the talented ones. You know what they mean when they use the word talented? Oh, you woke up and you were just talented one day. That's who that's for. Overnight success. Overnight success, right? Microwave generation, like you said, right? That's who that's for. And I listened to the shoulder devil. I gave up on the entire dream. And what did you do? It. Did you quit? Did you I, quit the school? I didn't quit the school. Okay. In my mind, I said, instead of going to Disney, I'll, I'll get a degree in illustration. I'll, I'll become a book illustrator. Or but Disney's like Top Gun. It's not going to happen. A week goes by, and Buddy calls me up and says, Saul, I got tickets to go see a movie. Want to go? I'm like, eh, I'm not in the mood. He goes, but you love movies. I'm like, yeah, I'm just not in the mood. He goes, but they're free tickets. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. <laughs> so I go to the movies, and I'm watching a movie, and at the end of this movie, tears are streaming down my face. I wasn't choked up. I wasn't emotional. I was crying. Every, I mean, even telling you the story right now, I'm, the emotion, I'm I, I getting emotional now. I'm sitting in that theater and watching this story. The story is a true story about a guy who's five feet tall. He doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability, and he wants to play football at Notre Dame. What movie is it? Is that Rudy? Yeah. yeah. You know your movies, dude. Rudy. Some of you listening, you're like, oh, yeah, Rudy. Great movie. Some of you listening never heard of it. You better hit pause again and go watch that movie. And if you're a person right now 
and you've seen the Hangover movies, but you haven't seen Rudy, right? You got a problem, dude. <laughs> we got to talk about what's important, right? So, look, the Hangover movies are fun. I love them too. But you better go see Rudy. I watched this movie. It's a true story. This dreamer. If you were friends with the real Rudy Rudiger, and he told you as his friend, his dream was to play football at Notre Dame. You know what you would have told him as his friend? Dude, I love you. Get a new dream. Wake up. You know what Rudy Rudiger said? Oh, yeah? Well, we'll just see about that. And he tries to get into Notre Dame. And what happens? Rejected. Tries a second time. Rejected. Third time? Rejected. But fourth time, if you look at the movie poster for the movie Rudy, it says, when people tell you dreams don't come true, tell them about Rudy. Mm -hmm. He gets in. And tears are streaming down my face because I'm thinking one thing. If an unathletic kid like that could get into Notre Dame with an insane amount of hard work, then what I thought was an untalented artist like me could get into Disney with an insane amount of hard work. And I vowed to never give up again. As a matter of fact, I called up Disney the next day. I get the same guy on the phone. I go, let me ask you a question. How close was I to getting in? He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how many portfolios did you get? How many did you choose? He said, Saul, we got 3,800 portfolios from around the world. Out of those, we picked 17 for the internship, and you made it to number 20. Wow. What? I missed it by three. Do you know how many times in our lives we could be so close to achieving a goal we feel we're miles away, and all we needed to do was push a little bit more? And then I asked him the billion-dollar question. Why did you not hire me? What was missing in my work? It's what I mentioned earlier. You want to grow in life? You better find out the answer key. So he said, can I be honest? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you need more perspective in your drawing. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, instead of drawing people from wherever your eyes are, like kneel down and look up at them or stand on a, a ladder and look down at them. Give us a dynamic perspective. Boom, answer key. I went to figure drawing class. I got a ladder. I got things to step. I started doing all these new drawings. I take that portfolio, I send them into Disney, and I wait. And a couple weeks go by, I get a call, and it's Andy. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? He's like, blink off. You're not going to believe this. I'm like, what am I not going to believe? He goes, dude, they just built a brand new basketball court for the animators. You love to play basketball. You deserve to play there. I'm like, thanks, man. He goes, you know what else they did? I'm like, what? He goes, well, they built a brand new wing on the studio for the next interns. I'm like, wow. He goes, you deserve to be there. I'm like, thanks, man. He goes, but there is one more thing. I'm like, what? He says, they put up a piece of paper. And that piece of paper has a list of the next interns. I'm like, really? And? and he goes, you're on the list. I'm like, what? He goes, dude, you did it. I'm like, thank you. He's like, what are you thanking me for? You did it. I hang up the phone. I go over to my tape player. Some of you don't know what tapes are. They play music, right? And at the top of my lungs, it's the circle of life. And it moves us all. Right? People are leaning into the room. Blink off. God. I call my mom. Can you imagine how fast I dialed my mom? She could hear it in my voice. She's like, honey, did you do it? And I said, no, mom, we did it. We did this together, mom. But you know what, mom? You took me to that school. You took me here. We did this together. But this winter, you can stay in New York because I'm going to the happiest place on earth. And I ended up landing in Florida at the airport. Guy picks me up at the airport with one of those signs. Right. You know, it's got your name on the thing, and it's got Mickey Mouse pointing. Of course it's branded. It's branded. And he drives me to the Disney Studios. I walk under a sign that says, Artist's Entrance. And I walk into a room, not very big, with 15 desks. This is before computer animation. And in the corner of one of these desks is a name, Saul Blinkoff, kid from New York. And I want everyone listening to hear something. Do not think that you heard the story today of a really talented guy that got into Disney. That's not what you heard. You heard the story of a guy who was the worst artist in his school who achieved his dream. And I'm telling you, if I could achieve that, each one of you could achieve a hundred times more. And remember that nobody, and I mean nobody, wakes up great at anything. How bad do you want it? And I got my dream. That's how it all began when... You know, I, uh, I heard somebody once say that people work more on their wishbone. I wish I were skinnier. Mm. I wish I were taller. Right. I wish I had more talent. I wish they would give me a chance, give me better opportunities, rather than working on their backbone. Right. And, and I needed to hear that at the time because I thought if 
I'm going to be successful, I have to be the smartest person in the room. I have to be the most talented person in the room. I have to be the prettiest person in the room. And I'm never going to be any of those things, but I can work really, really, really hard. Right. And, and nobody can take that away from you me. You know what? You just said it. That is so perfect. You, know, you remind me actually of um, when I got rejected the second time from Disney. When I got rejected, I went to one of my teachers, one of my professors. And I remember right after I saw the movie Rudy, and I remember sitting down with him. And I asked him, do you have any advice for me? And he says, let me ask you a question. He says, how many people want this? And I said, I don't know, thousands? He goes, how many schools? I'm like, I mean, hundreds around the world. He goes, thousands and thousands of people want this dream. He looked at me and he said this question. He asked me, can you control whether Disney says yes or no? I said, no. He says, can you control how good any other artist is? And I said, no. So he looked at me and he said, so what can you control? What is in your control? And I said, well, I can control how good I am as an artist. He goes, no, you can't. You think Michael Jordan could control that he become an incredible basketball player? No, he controlled one thing. He took 750 jump shots every day before breakfast. This professor looked at me and said, the only thing we can control in our lives is how hard we work, the investment we make, the outcome, that is not up to us. The only thing you can control, the outcome, it's not in your hands. You know? Yeah, it's exactly what you're saying, right? It's like you, you can control that effort, that investment. So that's really what's starting my dream. And, you know, I did get to work on lots of Disney classics. It was an incredible time. I worked uh, Pocahontas and, and Mulan. It was just an incredible experience. I worked on that movie for four and a half years. Uh, people can't believe how long it takes to make these movies. And um, it was an incredible experience. And uh, I've gotten to live my dreams, to realize my dreams. But they've even changed over the years. You know, because something that you want when you're 16 might change when you're 20. Something you want at 24 might change when you're 30, you know. And uh, dreams change because we grow as human beings, you know. As you're sharing your story, first of all, I love storytellers. Notice I didn't really get to interject much here, which is which is great. <laughs> Sorry you, about that. No, are you kidding? I, I'm grateful for that. For me to be able to, and you see me, I mean, this isn't on video, but so I'll tell you, I'm like, I'm like crying. I'm, yeah. I'm emotional. I'm like on the edge of my seat because it's engaging. And I love storytellers, leaders and mentors who you didn't have to say, okay, you guys, number one, stop doing this. Number two, you have to start doing that. You didn't really do that. You just told your story and let the audience, let the listener draw from your storytelling of what they need to apply to their lives. Thank you. I mean, I could take us on all kinds of different tangents because I was even, even the whole idea of branding, because we tell people, if you want to be better at customer service, go study the Ritz Carlton, right. go study Disney, go oh, study yeah. these right? Even in, as they're rejecting you, it was perfectly branded. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like they didn't give up. Well, you know, we don't need to roll out the red carpet here and, and create the happiest place on earth here. We don't need to live by that because we're rejecting him. No, even in that process. Right. And it's amazing how many companies they say, no, we're about this, this and this, but really? Then why is your restroom so dirty? You know, then, then why are, am I treated like this on the phone? Right. That branding, that message, you live through everything, right. that consistency. So, you know, at Disney, they teach you, I worked in the parks. I didn't tell you this, but in this story, while I was in college, I spent one summer selling ice cream in Disney World. Before all of this? Before all okay. this. So I was in what's called the Disney College Program. Okay. Very competitive program. Not as competitive as the animation internship, but it was one summer. And it was an incredible summer. And one of the first things Disney taught me and everyone in my group was how to point when you're in the parks. How to point. How to point. Like, you need a lesson how to point. So if you're a Disney cast member and a customer, they're called guests, right? Mm -hmm. A guest comes up to you and they ask you, how do I get to Space Mountain? You are not allowed by Disney standards to take your finger and point to Space Mountain. Because the Disney idea is like, it's rude to point. Instead, you have to use two fingers or a full hand as you gesture to the direction. It's a lot nicer. There's all these things. It's called the Disney look. You got to be clean cut. They didn't want like, you know, earrings hanging. Like they wanted this certain look. They wanted that guest service. By the way, check this out. Let's say you're in Tomorrowland at Disneyland, right? The place of the future. And you walk over to Adventureland, like Tom Sawyer's Island. And it's all like wood and like, right? right? The Jungle Cruise and all that. It's a very different environment. The trash can 
that's in Tomorrowland is way different than the trash can that's in Adventureland, that's in Fantasyland. There's over 5,000 different trash can designs because everything has to be consistent to the story of that place. As a matter of fact, if you are a Disney cast member and you work in Tomorrowland and you're done for the day, you're not allowed to walk in that costume through Adventureland because you're killing the story. So there are tunnels under the entire park. The entire Disney World Disney under the, uh, the floor are tunnels that you can walk from place to place. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but Walt Disney did not create the first amusement park. Those were around before him. What he did create was the very first theme park. Mm. A theme means a story. You know, most of you have been to a Disney park. You've been to Disneyland or Disney World. Yeah, three days ago. There you go. So you're gonna you're gonna relate, man. <laughs> all right. So when Walt Disney was building Disneyland, the very first Disney park, he shows all his investors the plans of the park, and they're looking at these schematics and like, hey, it looks awesome, but where's that roller coaster, the Matterhorn you talked about? He's like, well, that's over here in the back. They're like, no, 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 you should put that like right in the front. He's like, no, no, I got something better for the front. They're like, what do you have that's better than that? He goes, Main Street, USA. Main Street USA, that's not even a ride. He goes, no, it's something better. You see, it's a street that shows the nostalgia of those American values. The Norman Rockwell-esque town, the town that Walt Disney grew up in, barbershop quartet, penny arcade, ice cream shop. And you know why Walt Disney created Disneyland? He was at Griffith Park, the true story, with his kids, sitting on a bench and there on the merry-go-round. And he's sitting there eating peanuts. That's what he used to do. And as he's watching his kids on that amusement park and that little uh, merry-go-round, he remembers thinking, I wish I was something I could do with my kids. Instead of just sitting here watching, I want to do something with them. And all of a sudden, he got the idea, Disneyland. And by the way, if you go to Disneyland today and you walk in the park, on the right, there's the Walt Disney story in there. And 99% of people that walk in there have no clue. The bench is there. The actual bench, it's right there, and there's a plaque on it. And it says, this is the bench that Walt Disney sat on when he came up with the idea of living your dreams, Disneyland. Okay, I'll be there soon, and I'm going to check that out. you got to check it out. And check this out. When you walk into Disneyland, you walk in there, you got Main Street. At the end of the street, what do you see? You see the castle. You see those dreams, and you get this feeling. I don't care how many times you've been there. Every time you walk in there, everybody gets that feeling for a moment of, whoa, here we go. And you walk down that street, and you know who you walk down the street with? Your family, your friends. You walk together. And maybe as you get going, someone's going to go in the teacups, and maybe the older kid's going to go on Space Mountain or whatever. But at least you're going to start the day together. And at the end of the day, you're tired, you're exhausted. Maybe you have kids there falling asleep, and the stroller ice cream is going down their arm. Nobody runs out of Disneyland. You walk as slowly as you can. It's all lit up and magical. You're tired. And there's that nostalgia when you're walking out. You don't get that at Universal Studios. You don't get that anywhere else. Walt Disney said, I'm going to give you something better than an amusement park. I'm going to give you a story. You know what story? Your story. Your family's story. You see, when I started at Disney myself, I had one dream. I just want to be at Disney drawing. That's all I wanted to do. Now when I look back, I see how naive I was. Yeah, it was a good dream to have. But now as I've grown more, I see, you know, it's not where you are that matters. It's what are you doing? What is the story you're telling? What is the message you have for the world? You know, my favorite Disney movie, I get asked this all the time. What's your favorite Disney movie? I have two. The first, Cinderella. Classic story. The greatest underdog story in the world. And there's a moment in that movie, after she goes to the ball, at 12 o'clock, she leaves the ball. The horse turns back into a pumpkin. She's sitting on the side of the road in rags. The dream that she, sh- she just had, it's over. It's not happening anymore. And she's sitting on the side of the road. She knows she's going to be returning to this terrible life where she's a servant in her own home. But she notices she has something that she's not supposed to have. What does she have? Do you remember? Glass the glass slipper. Wait a minute. Didn't the fairy godmother tell you <laughs> that everything would return as it was? Did she lie? I guess everything didn't return as, as it was. She gave Cinderella a gift, a slipper, a way to remember the experience. 
And Cinderella holds that slipper. You know what 99% of people would do holding that slipper? They'd be like, oh my gosh, here's the slipper. I got to figure out a way to get back to that castle. I got to get back to that life. I don't want to go back to my home. I got to get back to that castle. I want to live these dreams. It's not what Cinderella says. She looks up to the heavens, to the fairy godmother, almost looking up to God himself. And she says these words, quote, thank you for everything. She has gratitude. She has gratitude because she knows what life is about. You could be in Shawshank prison and in your mind, you could feel alive. There's a message in that movie, Shawshank. Get busy living or get busy dying. Life is a choice. Don't think your circumstance dictates how you should feel about life. The second movie that I love, Lion King. Incredible movie. It really did change the world. We don't love that movie because we love movies about lions. It's not why it became the biggest movie of all time. You know what that movie teaches us? It's about Simba. Remember, I just can't wait to be king. Remember that? He thinks being a king is you can do whatever you want. And Mufasa says to him in the beginning, he's like, Simba, there's more to being a king than getting your way all the time. Simba's like, there's more? Really? What could be better than that? Then something happens to dad. You remember what happens to dad? He gets killed, right? Spoiler alert, right? Hopefully you guys have all seen it by now. I always say, if somebody hasn't seen it by now, it's over 30 years. You deserve to have it spoiled anyway, right? So dad dies, right? I mean, it's a Disney movie. They always have to kill off a parent in the beginning, right? Finding Nemo, right? Bambi, look what happened to his mom, right? They always kill parents off. But it's amazing how many Disney movies do not have moms. Ever notice that? Little Mermaid, she's got no mom. Belle, no mom. Aladdin, no mom. Oh my gosh, you're right. right? That's another discussion for a follow-up episode. We'll talk about that. So Simba, after dad dies, goes off and lives in Hakuna Matata world. Remember? Hakuna Matata, right? Goes off and lives there. You know what Hakuna Matata means? It means, what does it mean? No worries. No worries. Wouldn't we all love that? Who wouldn't want to wake up with a life of no worries? That's why I want to go to Hawaii. That's why I want to go on vacation. That's why I want to sit in a jacuzzi. No worries. Life is too difficult. If you want a life of no worries, do not be alive. And after living in Hakuna Matata world, who shows up to the end of the movie to see him? Do you remember who shows up? Nala. The girlfriend. The girl, yeah. Right, but she's all grown up now. She's got the big eyelashes. They sing their song, Can You Feel the Love, right? They start rolling around in the sunset, right? Then she says to him, Simba, it's good to see you, but you got to come back with me. He's like, what do you mean? Look where I live. Do you know where he lives? It's literally the Garden of Eden. Waterfalls, lush, beautiful. Why would I leave this? Do you remember he sleeps on a hammock? He sits in a jacuzzi. It's literally a vacation. It's what we all aspire for life. Most of us go through our entire week to get to the weekend. And we go through the whole year to get to that vacation. Is that what we're really living for? To get to a life of no worries? She's like, Simba, you got to come back with me. He's like, no, I'm staying here. She's like, maybe I didn't make myself clear. Scar's taken over everything. And if you don't come back with me, everyone is going to die. And you are responsible. And you know what he says? Hakuna Matata. I'm staying right here. And she leaves. She leaves him. She sees the potential of his greatness that he doesn't even see in himself. She actually sings about it right before she leaves. She sings, why won't he be the king I know he is? The king I see inside. Well, that's the message for all of us. Why won't we be the king, the queen that we can be? When are we going to wake up and realize what our potential is? And after he's left there alone, Rafiki shows up. Hits him in the head. He sees the reflection. He sees in the clouds his father. Mufasa comes back to him. Remember who you are. Simba comes back, defeats Scar, and it becomes the biggest animated movie of all time. BF, before Frozen. Not because we love movies about lions, but because that movie gives us a taste of what true greatness really is. You know what it is? It's how do I take responsibility for the world? You want to leave this episode with a message? It's not how do you live a life that's happy. If you ask 99% of the world, what do you want out of life? You know what they're going to tell you? I want to live a life of happiness. There's something so sweeter than a life of happiness. That's going for a life of meaning. You know what makes a meaningful life? One thing. Waking up with the mindset of how do I impact the world? How do I impact another human being? You know, I had on my podcast, George Foreman. Heavyweight champion of the world twice. Made a gajillion dollars with the uh, grill. Some of you know him with the grill. I get this guy. He's an Olympic gold medal winner. I rattle off the intro to this guy. 
the first thing out of his mouth is, Saul, I feel like I haven't done anything yet. I feel like I'm just getting started. I'm like, dude, you're, you're over 70 years old. He goes, I know, but I feel like the best is yet to come. Like, what a mindset. At the end of the episode, I asked George a question. I said, George, let me ask you a question. You've done all these things. You've made all this money. What's the legacy you want to leave the world? What's the legacy you want to leave your children? He says, you know what it is? One thing. That I loved humanity. I loved humanity. I loved human beings. That I walked down the street and I could make someone else smile. He didn't mention the legacy as grills or money or anything. He's like, I want people to know that I tried to impact them. You know, when I was editing the episode of George, I discovered something unbelievable when. This is crazy. This is crazy. Because I'm telling everybody, if you think my story is inspiring, that's nothing compared to Big George Foreman. By the way, they're making a movie. There's the trailer just released this week, the trailer. Go check out the trailer. Unbelievable what I discovered about him. The night that he becomes heavyweight champion in the world, he's 20 years old. Right before that, he was an Olympic gold medal winner, but he didn't make any money. He was still living in poverty, struggle, difficult life. And in one night, in one moment, he becomes the heavyweight champion in the world. Arguably the greatest sports accolade that a human could ever aspire to even get. Why? Because it's just you, no team. It's just you. It's just you versus you is really who it is. And boxing is insanely difficult because it's very painful. You know, we see these big boxers getting punched, Rocky movies and stuff, right? You think it doesn't hurt. You know what their face? It doesn't matter how much you work out, your face is still the same size. And getting punched in the face from Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, it's going to hurt every time. And he even says it's painful. We don't think that way. It actually hurts. And in one moment, he becomes heavyweight champion of the world at 20 years old, beating his idol, Smokin' Joe Frazier. And in that moment, he's on the ring. And everyone comes around him. And in that moment, he realizes he just made millions of dollars. His whole life has changed. Think of the emotions. And everyone surrounds him like the end of a Rocky movie. Everyone comes up on the ring. And George is sweating and he's like freaking out. All the emotions are He's crying. Some sportscaster, this old guy gets a microphone and brings it up to George's mouth. And says, George, you've just become heavyweight champion of the world. What's, what's next for you? Like, what are you going to do next? And George says without a beat. You know what's next for me? I'm going to tell every kid out there that you can aspire to living your dreams. If I could do this, you can do it too. And the sportscaster hears that. He doesn't like the answer. He's like, no, George, I don't mean that. I mean in the ring. What's next in the ring? And George says, quote, the world is my ring. The world is my ring. You know why he became powerful? You know why he became wealthy? Because with great power comes great responsibility and when I leave this episode with something you know what responsibility is responsibility is wherever in life I have the ability to respond response is an ability and you know who has the ability to respond all of us wherever your circle is today whatever you're doing today wherever you're walking wherever you're driving when you go up into a restaurant like I'm a dad with four kids Every time someone puts food on our table in a restaurant, my kids know. Not only do you say thank you, not only if they have their name tag and it says Lisa, do you say thank you, Lisa, because you know her name. You look her in the eye, you smile, you say thank you, Lisa. And here's the magic. You don't do it because it's the right thing to do. You do it because it brings you joy. It will bring you joy. You're having a tough day. You want to smile, but a real smile, a deep smile, go impact another person. You want to change the world? Change one person. Impact another person. Take responsibility for all. And if you do that, you won't have a life that's good. You won't have a life that's great. You'll have a life of? Awesome. Awesome. There you go. I'm going to add nothing to this. It's all incredible. Thank you. Incredible, incredible. Thank you for having me on this. And I do commend every single one of you who are listening. You know, whenever in life you hear words that inspire you, whether it's, you know, a TED Talk, you're reading a book, you're listening to Tim's story, you're listening to Wynn share his wisdom, whatever you're listening to, you need to understand it's not anything. It takes nothing to be inspired. Inspiration comes and goes. It slips through our fingertips. It's one thing to be inspired. It's another to live inspired. How do you take wisdom? How do you take inspiration and turn it into action? Practical tools. Set for yourself a goal that every day I want to grow a little bit. 
You know, all of us are standing at the bottom of a ladder. The ladder has rungs that go all the way up. Can you jump to the top of that ladder? No, nobody can. But you know what you can do? Once you have the clarity of where do you want to go and you're on the right ladder, take that first step. And you'll see, you know, I can do that. Yeah, you can. And then you take your next step. And then when you look down, you go, hey, I came up two steps. That should energize you to go even faster up every rung of the ladder. I wish all of you a wonderful, meaningful life. And remember that because each one of us is unique. There's no two people that are alike. And because each one of us is unique, no two people could possibly have the same goal, the same mission in life. You want to feel fulfilled? Look in the mirror. Get in touch with what makes you special, what makes your voice unique, and go share it with the world. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Thank you. Friend. And if you want, check out my podcast. Of course. <laughs> it's Life of Awesome. You can also check out my website. It's SaulBlinkoff.com. And like you said, yeah, I have uh, life coaching I'm doing. There's the speaking. I travel the world speaking, sharing different messages about parenting and marriage and relationships and living your dreams. And so many times people come up to me when they're like, yeah, you know, I, I had a dream once and, and I gave up on that at like 20. I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you give up? Like, why not do it? Why not go for it? You know? Because I'm telling you guys, if I could do this, you could do a hundred times more. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate you and I really appreciate all the listeners. Thank you.